to the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Michelle Redfern. In this first season, not just a statistic, I'm bringing you the stories of women in sport from career start to the boardroom. Every episode is with an amazing woman from a range of different sports and a range of different positions in sport. And every episode is going to give you some actionable insights as a sports fan, as a member, as an administrator, as a leader to take action on how to close the leadership gender gap in sport. I hope you enjoy the episode. The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wadawurrung, Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across this nation. We also pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Alison Dodd is the president of the Strathmore Cricket Club. She's played her part in various roles over her time with the club, including secretary, committee member and head of membership. Alison also has over 15 years of senior management experience in various industry sectors, including health and aged care, vocational education, training, and the not-for-profit sector. Alison works for herself as a life coach, whilst also working as the general manager of the Love Me, Love You Foundation, an organisation that aims to challenge the stigma associated with mental health. Alison, in her call to action, which is amazing because of her position as the very first woman president of her cricket club, she calls for club leaders, particularly of male-dominated clubs, to go out and ask women what they need to feel included and to participate. She said, if you've got a male-dominated club, those men have all got sisters, mums, girlfriends, daughters. Go and ask them why they're not here. Alison also touches on the role of parents in raising their daughters and challenges parents to go against gender norms. Alison says, I challenge people. The next time you know a family member or a friend who has a baby and it's a little girl, go give her a cricket bat or go give her a football. I love that advice. And how actionable is that? I hope you really enjoy this episode. So Alison, first cab off the rank, we're going to explore... Well, what your motivation was to start in the world of sport, why sport, what got you there or what attracted you to sport, what kept you in sport, how did you get to where you are today in sport? Well, what got me there was being a three-year-old, being walked around the the corner by my dad to stand on the boundary line and watch local footy and then ultimately local cricket. Our family home is one street back from our sports club. So, yeah, I think it was probably at that point in time, mum wanting dad to get us out of the house to give her some space on a Saturday afternoon. So, yeah, look, we we literally started on on the boundary line, running around, playing. And and as, you know, my brother and I became older, older, we started playing our own sport. We do have quite a a sporty family background, I suppose, especially AFL. You know, my grandfather played for the Bulldogs. My great-grandfather played for Essendon. Oh, that could have, that would have been challenging last weekend as we're recording this, viewers and, and watchers and listeners. We've just come out of the first round of footy finals and poor old Essendon. They're, they'll be up and about. They'll be there next year, hopefully. But yeah, no, look, as, as a family, you know, had that influence, I suppose, from our grandparents and grandparents fighting over which football jumper we all had to wear. And we're, we're talking about women in sport right now. It's funny, when I'm the oldest grandchild, 
on my mum's side, whose dad played for the Bulldogs. And when I was born, it wasn't really fussed whether I had a Bulldogs jumper or not. But my brother is the second eldest grandchild born between my mum and my auntie. And there was no questions asked. He was into a Bulldogs jumper the minute he was born. So, you know, that that sort of bias. Interesting. And we're going to explore some of that conditioning that starts at a very young age a, a little bit later on. So, so yeah, look, I think I just evolved, grew up in a sporting world, a sporting family, grassroots. My dad started to get more involved, as did my mum, when my brother started playing football and cricket. I was playing netball at another club, but our sports club didn't have a netball club back there. And they certainly didn't have girls football and, and girls cricket as much as I'd be out there running around with the boys, kicking the footy in the mud in those winters where it was knee deep in the mud and, you know, grounds weren't particularly well looked after. Had my own set of footy boots, all, all that sort of thing. And my parents both probably, and this is where it's probably continued on for me, really installed. If, if your kids are going to play sport, you get in and, and you get involved and understand that especially at grassroots, it's all volunteers. So the more people that can just do a little bit makes it a little bit easier. So 7am wake-ups on Saturday morning because my dad was junior coordinator for the cricket club. And, you know, back in those days, everyone met at the club before they went off to, to their games. So it was one in all in in our family. So I've watched more cricket than I have probably had hot dinners in my life. Same then in winter, I was dragged along to watch my brother play footy every Sunday afternoon and it just was what it was. But from that, I've made lifelong friends and that for me is probably why I've continued to stay involved. I always say, yes, I'm president of a cricket club, and but it's not actually about hitting a red ball around or how many runs or how many wickets you take. It's the people, you know, and that's my why. My, my why and my purpose is for my people. It's that shared purpose, that sense of belonging. Do you have a lot of fun along the way? And I am pretty competitive. So as most of the boys will tell you, I want them to go out there and play fair, be a good human. Don't be too revolting out on the ground, all that sort of stuff. But my goodness, don't come off that ground and tell me you haven't won. Like I want you to win. So yeah, you know, it's just started from there and it's just continued on. I was secretary when I was 17 because I don't know. I just ended up there. I just ended up, well, there's a job that needs to be done. So I guess I'll do it. Don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll give it a go and I'll learn. I'll learn on the job. And look, cricket clubs, sports clubs back then were nowhere near as professional as what they need to be now. You know, you certainly weren't thinking, having innovative thoughts about how can I generate more money. It was, you know, you sell beer over the bar, you run a trick raffle on a Thursday night, a meat tray on a Saturday night, play cricket and then, you know, do it all again the following week. So, you know, now now we're talking about lobbying government for grants. We're talking about how do we diversify ultimately our business strategy to because it's competitive. It's, you know, how do you get sponsors on board when there's so many clubs asking for sponsors, throwing a handy dose of COVID and, you know, your sponsors are small business so how do you how do you work with those small businesses to say well understand that you probably can't give us a thousand dollars this year but can you give us 500 and donate you know some passes for the for some donuts or or what have you and yeah I think you know clubs have really changed over over that 20 odd years that I've been involved in a in a committee space. So one of the things that's changed is that we're now seeing not enough mind you but we're now seeing more women taking penultimate roles of which you are or you're the first female president of your cricket club and you know that is still considered by society to be an unusual occurrence namely because it is. What have your experiences well as a woman president in what is a very male dominated arena what have they been? As a whole, generally quite 
positive. And look, I've got a personality as well where I probably will call people on some rubbish and if I feel that I'm not being heard or heard or seen, but that doesn't make it easy. It's still, there's still been times where I've gone home and sat on the couch and burst into tears and think, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing it? The previous presidents being men, they wouldn't have had to have dealt with that sort of thing, but I've got probably enough gumption to get up and, and keep going. So within my club, I've generally been been pretty lucky you know I'm not I'm not um silly enough to not to think that people haven't criticized behind my back or make comments but you know that's life that's just the the way it is I also taking on that role I, I went into it off the back of my dad who'd passed away you know some 10 years earlier he was a president of our club he was a life member and he was very much a big figure around the club so I felt pressure at the start on two accounts, first female president and also being Chris Dodd's daughter. I remember at my first committee meeting, one of the first things I said is there's two rules and that is one, I don't care about being the first female president. I don't want to hear us bang on about the whole gender side of things. And, and I've changed my attitude a little bit on that over the journey because I now acknowledge and realise that it is a big, it was a big deal, not so much for me, but for the young girls that are coming through the club. And the other, the other rule I had was don't compare me to my dad. Either I'm going to be good at this or I'm not based on what, you know, I, I bring to the table. I've had challenges in the broader network in terms of the association other sporting codes that we have to have to deal with. I remember I met with a male president of another club in the area who we share grounds with. Very interesting conversation. One of the first things he said to me is, "Oh, it's not it's not usually uh, a normal thing for a lady to be a a president." And I'm sitting there thinking, "Here we go. All right." And I said, "Oh, and why is that?" And he said, oh, well, usually like the women at the clubs, they do sort of the, and he was stumbling for the words. I said, what do they do? And he said, oh, well, you know, like they do a lot of the catering and the functions. And I said, oh, so like all the female, so-called female jobs. Mm. He's like, well, yeah. And by this stage, I want to jump the table and knock his teeth out, but I'm pretending that I can handle this conversation. And I said to him, you know, I have a thing in my life where I talk about play to your strengths, always play to your strengths. And I said, I'm sure you could go and ask any of the boys at our cricket club that cooking is not one of my strengths. They would rather fork their eyeballs out than have me in the kitchen. I said, but one thing I'm really good at is dealing with assholes. <laughs> and I just, and then I went quiet and he just looked at me. I said, so let's get on with this, this meeting. And it's, it's those sorts of things that you do get thrown at you and we shouldn't have to deal with it. But we do. Mm. And I think it's one thing that really puts women and young girls off trying to have these roles and trying to do do certain things within clubs when you have got that sort of attitude being being thrown at you. So I'll, I'll, I'll read you a statement and get your thoughts on it. So behaving like a woman is supposed to, and I'm using the air quotes there, supposed to, can ensure that you're liked but you won't be respected. Behaving like you need to to get the outcomes that the organisation needs means that you are probably respected but potentially unlikable. Yep. And what about the emotional impact that that has, emotional, physical impact that knowing that and knowing that, I mean, you have said yourself, you've got the gumption and you've got the grit and the determination and the personality type to deal with assholes and to deal with busting gender stereotypes and to deal with kicking down the doors that are potentially going to be put in your way. But you've said that that's off-putting for women. And we've seen, we've seen this conversation play out about politics, you know, more women in politics, particularly in the conservative 
parties. But women are saying, yeah, nah, looks like a really, actually a fairly poor choice. Mm. Is it the same for sport? And if so, how are we going to get over that? Because we do need more women to come in, but we don't want them to have to deal with it. So how do you deal with it? How do you keep yourself determined and moving forward and not feeling like you have to come home and go, you know, this is all too bloody hard and have a cry on the couch and get over it kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the key things, not only in sport, but in even my professional career, you know, I went to uni and studied to be a nurse. I worked in one of the most female-dominated industries that, that you could have as well. And, you know, that presents quite a number of challenges in itself. But one thing that I learned very early on in my career and certainly have taken it through into the cricket club is you've got to have allies. You've got to have people that will have your back so that when you're not around and people are potentially criticizing or they're questioning or they're just having a good old chin wag, you need to have people that can go, hang on a minute, that's not what she's doing or that's not what she said or actually I think the process that you know, she's implementing with her team is great because of X, Y, and Z. You can't educate mugs, as my pa would have said. You know, you. so I, I've had to learn that I've just got to let those people go. There'll always be those people out there. But at our, at our sports club, you know, I've aligned myself and I knew very quickly who were the people that would have my back. I go to them for advice. You know, at the start, I was like, well, who do I even ask for advice? Because my one person in the, the world I would have got advice on this stuff was my dad. And he wasn't around. So now what do I do? Because I was feeling the pressure to, I've got to be perfect at this because I've probably got the gig because no one else wanted it. Like, let's be real. You've got that internal, the story we tell ourselves on repeat. Yeah. The monkey voice was out of control. And the reality is who does want to go and donate 40 hours of their time every week to, to run a sports club and still have a life and do all that sort of stuff. Like it's not, it's not fancy. It's not a sexy role, but I had to I had to shush all of that up and say, I'm doing this because I want to take our club in a different direction and I want to I want to try a few other things and I'm going to live and breathe by my sword. So I worked out who those people were. I go to them for advice still to this day as like our secretary is amazing and I tell everyone I get to be the face and I get to go out there and, and do all the talking. But I tell you what, it takes a pretty special person to keep me on track and make sure I know what I need to know. And and this guy does this for me. And I still ring him as my moral compass and say, I'm about to lose my plot and absolutely give someone a piece of my mind. Am I right or am I wrong? You know, we'll talk talk through that. So I think for women, especially in male-dominated spaces, you need to have allies. And I think sometimes, and we've spoken about this in a you know past conversations, Michelle, where women go and align themselves with women. Well, that's great. But whether we like it or not, and I believe that it's still a few generations away having enough women at the top of these food chains to help support the movement, the men are sitting there at the moment. So they need to be your voice. They need to they need to help you have a voice. But you also can't sit back and go, oh, well, can you give it to me on a silver platter? you got to get out there and... It's got to be a two-way street. Two-way street. And there'll be times where you'll get knocked down and you'll get told, run along, little lady. See you later. We're not interested. And I think at those points, you've got a decision to make. Well, are they an ally or are they a mug that I just don't worry about? You know, I'm going to find my, find my ally... I've had I've had men at our career club and there's one that has openly said he's he'd known me for twenty plus years and when I took on that presidency and these are guys that are older, small business owners, stand around and drink, they've you know, they lead lead pretty good lives at, at the club. They're all a bit like, Oh, really? Alison's gonna be president because, you know, she's uh 
I forget, I can't remember exactly what he called me, but basically she's a bit full of herself. Like she thinks that she's fabulous. More so because I won't back down in a conversation if I believe I need to stand up for something. So they saw me, it's that old saying of, you know, men stand up for themselves and they're great leaders. Men, uh, women have a voice or an opinion and they're a bitch, you know. And that's, that's the what they were bind. seeing me as. That's the double bind. And and that's what this guy has since told me. A lot of them saw me as. Four years down the track of now being president, they come back to me and they go, it's actually not, that's not you. I'm like, I know that, but I just had to get out there and do it, you know, and I don't know if that makes it right or wrong, but I believe people will judge you on your behaviours. I agree, but we've got to get over that first, you know, those people had an impression of you now, which was absolutely gendered. And and I suppose this is the, because we were talking off air before about, you know, I'll, I'll be happy when there's just as many as incompetent women at the top as there are currently incompetent men. And that's not a slash at men or women. I'm just saying at the moment, gender is a big decision maker for who gets ahead and who doesn't. So I guess for me, you know, my question right now and the call to action for, for the leaders listening, the sporting leaders listening is for those men, how do they identify I am having a gendered, biased response to this woman in a powerful position. I am thinking through the lens of a gender stereotype. And how do we get them to recognize that? And I want, you know, this is the call to action. How do we get men to recognize I'm embarking on a a train of thought here that's very gendered, very stereotypical, and I want to be different. And I want to make sure that she's invited in, welcomed in and included and her contributions are included in these key decision-making forums. How do we get them to move beyond? How does it take, you know, four years, Alison? How do we make it, okay, Alison's now the, the, you know, the, the, the president. And as you said, whether you're, you know, male, female, an ant or a spider, you know, whatever it is, if you've got the bloody capability, you're the president. How do we help those those good guys get there quicker? Yeah, it's a million-dollar question. My first response is, you know, just get for, for women just get in there and do it but then the other voice in my head saying it's not up to women all the time it's not up to us to have to prove ourselves it's not up to us you know because as we've said I will keep going you know you put a brick wall in front of me and I'll find a way to get through it that that's my personality but that's not everyone's personality and 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 sports clubs and and business then run the risk of losing really really good skills knowledge and capability if that person doesn't want to and shouldn't have to cannon on through a brick wall. I actually, I actually don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't think anyone fully has that answer yet. I think the younger, like if I think about my committee and the younger guys that are on it, I certainly do not feel the sense of unconscious bias and prejudice when I'm dealing with them as I do, you know, the guys that are in their their sixties and you know a bit, you know, the the older older people who have historically run a football and cricket club, like that's what they did, and now they're the bar flies that have got all the history, so they watch what's going on, and you know, COVID was a fabulous example. The number of the old guys that would carry on about having to QR, scan the QR code last cricket season and they would challenge me every Saturday afternoon why do I have to do this shit my phone doesn't work that's fine I'll do it on my phone I'll pump your name into it like let's get going and it got to a point after a number of weeks where I said to them oh no they threatened me they said we just won't come here on a Saturday afternoon and drink and you need the money over the bar and I said the pub down the road feel free to go and someone else looked at me and said what you're telling them to go to a pub and I said 
because you know what? When they walk into the pub, they're going to have to scan in there anyway. Like it just is what it is. And I take a step back from that and I think, why should I even have to have those conversations? Do you think that if you'd been a male that your authority would have been challenged about that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and, and this is the point, and I guess, you know, to, to wrap this part up, the energy that you have to invest in justifying your position, your authority, is, could be better used to grow the club, to achieve its outcomes, you know, that kind of stuff. So, And I think, though, it's really important for me to say that this is still only a small section of my club that I generally find super supportive. As I said, you know, the younger guys coming through, like, I'm just L, you know, I'm just there. Although it hurts my feelings when one of them said to me just recently, you're just one of the boys. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not just one of the boys, but I get what you're trying to say to me, you know, like. It it was a nice sentiment, perhaps a little clumsily executed. Yeah, I, I get it. Exactly right. But, you know, I spend a lot of my energy, you know, my vice president and junior coordinator is a female, you know, so our two roles are filled by by females. We've been able to have a lot of change over the last few years. You know, we've got a girls program now that we're both super proud of, but I am so super proud of, you know, three years ago, we didn't have it. That were or four years ago, really, we didn't didn't have girls teams. And we started with five or six little 10-year-olds that couldn't throw straight. They couldn't hit a ball to save their life. And you'd, I must admit, you'd stand there and you'd think, oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> you know, and it was at the same time that the AFLW was coming out. So reflecting back to, you know, the old bar flies that would be sitting there on a Saturday afternoon bagging out the AFLW because, you know, they can't kick the footy 60 metres and this, that and the other. And it's a waste of time. Get it off our TV, you know, put the races back on. And I'd be like, eh, eh, it's staying on that TV if you don't like it. Again, go to the pub. So I had all of this going on, but those girls progressed. They won their first premiership last season. And I tell you what, I absolutely flogged it to death on our socials and all through our club stuff because they made history. And I made sure all the boys knew about these girls making history. And there to me, that's why I do what I do. You know, the coach asked me to go down and talk to the girls the week of their grand final. What do you want me to say to them? Like, I don't know what to say to them. These little 11 and 12-year-old girls standing there looking at me thinking, why is this crazy old lady here? But I said to them, you know, you you don't actually understand what you're doing because hopefully we're creating an environment where this is just normal for you. But, you know, in 20 years' time when we have premiership reunions and we reflect on our club history, you're, you're the first ever girls premiership so well, at that point they hadn't won yet but they are now the first premiership side and they go and tell their friends you know we've now got three or four sides that all all you know come together and they're doing one-on-one coaching with our club cap, uh, club coaches who are ex-test cricketers for the West Indies and Sri Lanka and you're watching these young girls that are coming and doing one-on-one coaching in our indoor net with you know people that they would never have ever had the opportunity to be exposed to and these coaches say to me gee if if only some of these boys had the drive and the passion that these girls do I go I know. Interesting isn't it so there's two trains of thought I want to explore right now one is and I'm going to go down your role as a role model because as you're talking I've got these very vivid memories of being invited when I was on the board of Williamstown Football Club because we set up the same thing, set up a female program. 154 years of male history suddenly was now two genders. And and I've been fortunate enough to be invited back even this season to do the opening address, you know, season opening address. And same as you, I, I, I look at these women, uh, these 
And I just say to them, you you hold my hopes and my dreams that I didn't even know I had because there was no footy for girls, no cricket for girls when I was a kid. I said, but you hold, you hold my dreams. But more importantly, you're making history and you've got these young boys, young girls looking at you like this is completely normal. So I want to talk about your role as a role model in a bit, but what I want to segue to now is that role modeling in the house, in the home, from childhood. Because for, for you and I, now you're a bit younger than me, but our uneven playing field started in childhood. Now you've given a perfect example. You were born, no footy jumper. Your brother's born, gets a footy jumper and probably had a membership signed up, all that kind of stuff. So the uneven playing field is perpetuated on and off the field throughout a woman's life. So in sport, how is that happening? And what what is that conditioning that you see playing out in sport that we need to pay attention to? I think it starts when, and I've been guilty of this myself, you know, a friend will have a baby and you buy that first ever gift and, or even when my niece and nephew were born, you know, you give the little boy their, you know, those soft AFL footies that say my first ever footy. And then you give the girls they get teddy bears or they get Barbie dolls or what have you. You know, you're not giving the little girl the Tonka truck. You're giving the Tonka truck to, to the little boy. I think from sporting perspective, it starts then. Because if you think about a little boy gets given a football, a cricket ball, a soccer ball, whatever, we don't give a little girl a, a netball or a football or a cricket ball. So those little boys are starting to play with, you know, balls. They're, they're working on their hand-eye coordination without even realising they're doing it. It's normal to pick up the footy and carry it under your arm. Whereas certainly for me as a little girl, I was probably a little bit different. I, I, I had parents that were probably well, you know, ahead of the curve in that they, they brought my brother and I up. There, there was no gender role in our house, you know, all the way through to my dad was like, if you want to drive that car, you need to show me how you can change the water and the oil and change a tire before you even get in the car case. So you know, for me, it was a little, little bit differently. But I think, you know, look at the AFLW when it first started. And I just said it before with some of those guys at, at our club. She can't kick 50 metres. She can't bounce and, you know, kick the ball on the run or they just cannon in. They're not ta- tackling each other properly. Go to a park and watch a three-year-old. They're doing it from that age. Little girls weren't. And I think we all have, we have a responsibility to afford girls the opportunity to do that if they want to. So I challenge people the next time, you know, a family member or a friend has a baby and it's a little girl, go and give her a cricket bat. Go and give her a football. If, you know, sport is their thing, obviously sport's not everyone's thing, but start it then. Give the little boy a Barbie. If that's my, I took my nephew, I had him pre all this lockdown, he's five. And I had him and my niece, who's nine, and Freya wanted to go and get her nails done. And I'm like, yeah, all right, let's go. And I had Patrick with me. He thinks it was the best thing since sliced bread sitting in that massage chair with his feet, little feet in the the water and he's got ladies on either hand doing his nails. And to this day, he still says, Auntie Elle, can we go and get our nails done? Now, people have been a bit like, what's your brother going to say? I'm like, I actually really don't care what my brother says because to a five-year-old, he's just having his feet in the water and having pretty colours on his nails. It's you as an adult that's making that to be anything more than it than it needs to be. So I think in order for girls to participate in sports and perhaps the non-traditional female sports, we've got to we've got to start them early. Do what my dad did, take them around to the the local footy or the local soccer or basketball or whatever and let them see. Kids learn by seeing. There's a good point there in exposing girls and women to the environments because 
if we keep people in very narrow boxes, and I like you know, you, you, what you've said in the separate interviewers around let's let's look at people's strengths irrespective of their gender, and yeah. but, but you can't look at a woman or a girl's strengths if she's not there. So we need them to present. We need them to be given the opportunity to turn up. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and and that's probably where I now see being that first female president as being a big a bigger deal. I absolutely downplayed it four four years ago. But it is about being able to say to those twelve year old girls, you know what, I was youth. I was youth. When I was twelve, I used to come and score for the first eleven and I got paid eleven dollars a day. I thought I was being paid mega bucks. Every player used to give me a dollar and I'd be really lucky one or two of them would take me through the McDonald's drive through and get me a cheeseburger on the way to cricket. And I would sit in 35 degree heat for six hours and score every ball thinking that I was fabulous. Like I was part of the, part of the, the team. I was a, you know, part of the gang. All along, they're probably sitting back thinking, you sucker. Like for $11, you're sitting there doing it, you know, 80 overs worth of scoring. That, that is the true definition of, of exploitation of children. <laughs> 100%. But you know what? I loved it. I loved it. My lifelong friends have come from that club. You know, why do I still do it? Because people, unless you've grown up around cricket, people will tell you it's a pretty boring sport. Like, you know, it's not the excitement of AFL and all that sort of stuff. Whereas I find it really exciting because I can watch my players and go, ah, I know why they're feeling like that because I know he's going to bowl it that way. And the idea is we're going to get that bloke out. It's the whole strategy behind it. But when people sort of challenge me and say, it's the most boring sport in the world, I'm like, yeah, it probably is. But you know what? I spend most of my time talking, funnily enough. I love a chat. I spend most of my time talking to my friends. I've got lifelong friends from sport. The skills and the knowledge that I have self-taught have helped me get to where I am in my career. You learn pretty quickly how you need to communicate with different sorts of people when you're in a sports club. I couldn't agree more. You said something before, which now I want to really talk about, which is that you weren't aware, well, you were dismissive of the fact that you being the first woman president of your club was a big deal. And I can understand why. But then you've come around, you've done a bit of a 180 and said, well, okay, it actually is a big deal because it's a big deal for the girls and other other women. So what occurred to make you aware that you are that role model and I get and that you've got a responsibility to those women and girls that come after you? What changed it for you in your own mind? And then how did that manifest itself in your behaviours? I think seeing those young girls starting to really enjoy their cricket, that was probably my light bulb moment around every person at this club supports the boys, as do I. And this isn't a boys versus girls. No, no, this is not a zero-sum game. No, no. And, you know, and I love watching all the the young boys play cricket and and that was one of my mandates as well if I'm going to be president I need to be seen I'm not just president of the senior club where that's where all my friends are you know I I wasn't a parent of a a 14 year old kid or been through the under 10s now but you know at the time I I wasn't I needed to be present I needed to be seen I think watching the girls grow and them realizing who I was whilst they probably don't understand what I'm doing at committee level for them, just the fact that they want to come back and they want to play, and it wasn't just a one hit, a one hit wonder. I was seeing that in in the girls. It was also reflecting on what I've got out of being at a sports club, and you know, I've spoken about I, I went there because of my mum and dad, and and it was a family adventure and what have you. But the skills and the knowledge and the life skills that I've taken out of being in sport, and I will. You'll never, ever be able to convince me 
that sport's not great for kids and especially team sport. Like, mm. I, it's just, it's a bit of a non-negotiable in my world, you know. It's- oh, I, I agree. I remember reading when my, I don't know if I'd been become a parent yet or not, but certainly I remember reading somewhere that, you know, get your kids into sport because actually they'll be so bloody tired they can't get up to any mischief. But it's so, <laughs> much, it's so much more than that. We know, and it's interesting, we know that of the women who have led Fortune 500 companies, 92% of them have been involved in sport, particularly team sport. So there's, there's staff so good for us. So good. It's so good. And and I just get a bit passionate. I am passionate about people at grass, young people being involved and giving them different roles. It doesn't mean you've got to be on the committee, but can you look after this for me? Could you do that? Because in 10 years' time, when you come back and you tell me that you're the GM of, you know, your division at Toll or you're this at the wherever back and go you know what we we played a, a wee little bit in that we provided opportunity and I think that's where I've started to acknowledge my role as a role model not just for the girls but also the older women around the club you know though the mums that are out there the number of mums that come to me and say why would you ever want to do this and I'm like well why not why wouldn't I meet people like you why wouldn't you you know and most of it and then they say to me but where did you learn to do it uh, on the job and I use most of my work skills here. And then at work, I use most of my sports club skills. It's such a, such a great way to describe exactly how I've always felt about sport. And so many of us do that we, you know, sport gives us so much, but the development you get that you can then apply in the business world, in your families, in your communities, because, you know, you do, you have to run a business. You have to engage with stakeholders. You have to think about members and customers. You have to think about your competitors, you know, all the stuff that business is all about so 100 percent, 100 percent, and just you know i'm i'm very fortunate in my professional career now you know i work for the love me love you foundation as the gm and we do a lot of work with corporates and also community around you know mental health breaking stigma and education and and support you know i can go into a corporate and i can put my best corporate hat on and and off I go, I'm off and running. You get me talking to a, a grassroots sports club about my two passions, A, your club, and B, mental health and how we support our people because they are our people and it is why we do what we do. I can tell you the number of old school sports clubs that I've gone and spoken to and they're like, yeah, whatever, we're not going to do this. And you convert them because I can talk their language. Yeah, exactly. I understand what it's like. I understand what it's like to be a volunteer who's sitting there going, absolutely, I want to look after my people and, you know, support their mental health and what have you, but I've already busted my chops and I've only got five people on a committee and how the hell am I going to roll it out so I just won't do it? I hear, I get it, I get it. And so that's, it's not, it's not mutually exclusive being part of a sports club administration and your working life. Or I can tell you, some of the things that I used to negotiate with kids when I worked as a, a paediatric nurse at the children's hospital, I still use now at two o'clock in the morning when you're trying to get the drunks out and get them to go home. So, you know, you draw on skills from everywhere in these I, environments. I, I, and this is for, and you know, and for I, all the I'm, parents I'm, out there listening, it's not a, not a bad place for your kids. They're not all drunk. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking about one of the other parts of my life, which is developing leaders, great leaders. And we know that to have a really great career, you've got to have a lattice work of, of experience and you bring all of them to everything you do. You've just been a perfect example. So for the women listening, this is, we've talked about women have got a role to play as well. We, we want women 
to step up? How do you coach or mentor women to just do it and ask for what they want and step up into these roles? I'm pretty blunt about it. To start off with, to be honest, Michelle, I tell them that it will be a freaking hard gig. It's going to be hard. And be prepared for the fact that you'll get knocked back, but then you have a choice. You either get back and stay back or you get back up again and find another way to have that conversation, whether it be with that same person or someone else. I say... You know, you talk about toolkit, you know, a, a, a builder can't build a house without all the tools in the toolbox. You can't progress your career and you can't progress your life without all your tools in your toolbox. So you've got to work out, well, what are what are the tools? What do I need? You know, is it understanding who my allies are? Is it everyone should have a mentor? I don't, and it doesn't need to be a, a, a formal pay for type arrangement. You know, I know at times, Michelle, I've come to you and said, what the hell am I doing? How do I do this? You know, surround yourself with people that you can have a conversation with. And, uh, you know, I was very, very lucky many, many years ago, I had a business coach, personal coach um, by the name of Lee Russell. So for people in the female sporting world, you'll all know who she is. I did not know that. She's amazing. She is amazing and has held some pretty pretty significant roles. And she once said to me, Al, you need to go and get a P-bomb. And I'm like, a P-bomb? What's a P-bomb? And she, she calls it a personal board of management. And what that was, if you need someone to help you with finance, like finance is not my strong suit. I can spend money. Don't get me wrong. I can spend money. But, and Michelle, you and I have had this conversation before. Put a P&L in front of me and I really have to put my thinking cap on. And I've had roles where that's part of my role, what I work hard on. I have to work hard on some things and that that's my thing so yeah I have a I have a p-bomb basically you know people that I can go to whether it be around strategic thinking finances whether or not it's how am I going to deal with certain situations those people are aware who they are do I call them all the time no but and and that that's my point about it doesn't have to be anything formal but you need to know who those people are. So Couldn't agree more. I'd love to say that that was my ingenious idea, but as I said, the great Lee Russell gave that to me probably 10 years ago now, and, and I still I still work with it. Well, you've given me some material because I am interviewing Lee for this series. So I like the fact that I can create these connections. So the call to action here, I'm going to quote you back at you. Men in roles of power need to be prepared to open their ears and take action in brackets, that's mine, and women need to be prepared to tell their story. So what do you mean by that? Men in roles need to be prepared to sit there, shut up and listen to what's actually going on for women and not judge. Not Most women don't need fixing. Most women don't want to be fixed. They need you to hear. They just need you to hear, hey, I'd really like to take my career this place or I'd really like to do this at my sports club or what do you think? You know, And this is why I think this and this is why I want to do it. Women, you need to step up and tell that story, you know, and you've got to be okay with not everyone's going to agree with you, not everyone's going to want to do it, but don't don't let that monkey brain tell you it's because you're a female. Like, have a reality check and go, well, was my idea actually valid or was it crap? Have I got some substance behind it or am I just winging and, you know, carrying on? I think as much as men need to, because of the roles that men are in at and it's many, many years in the making, you know. The reality is there's more men sitting in senior executive roles in both sport and business, whether it be grassroots sport or professional sport, than women. Just is what it is. So 
they need to listen. And if they don't want to listen, well, they're archaic dinosaurs and they're hopefully not going to be hanging around for too long. You know, men need to be able to sit there and listen. I'm not saying you need to sit there and agree with what's going to be said to you. All I'm asking you to do is come to the table and listen. The other part of it is then as women, you know what, you want to be heard. You want to work your way through certain roles, whether it be You don't have to be the CEO of a business. You don't have to be a president of a sports club. You might just want to do a certain project or you might want to, if you want to be that that chef at the cricket club, go and do it. If that's your strength, play to your strength. But no one's going to come and knock on your door. No one's going to go, oh, hey, Alison, what's your idea? Can you tell us all? You're going to put your hand up and say, hey, guys, I need to have a chat and be prepared that it'll be loved or it won't. Generally, it fits somewhere in the middle and then you work collaboratively. Whether whether I like to admit it or not, and even in my own personal life, the second I try to tell my partner how it's going to be, he just switches off. You see the glazed look on his face. Whereas, you know, come on, girls, we've got to get a bit smarter about this. Let them think it's their their thought, their idea, and let's get let's get going. And I say that very much tongue in cheek, but yes, I, I think everyone has a everyone has a responsibility. You know, women don't need to fix themselves. Women don't need to be the ones that are cannoning through these brick brick walls all the time. But you do need to be prepared to back yourself in. If you don't feel that you can have the conversation, that's okay. Again, who's your P bomb? Who do I go to to throw some ideas around? And broker, broker a deal, broker an introduction, sponsor me in. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's great advice. And it's, you know, this is the, the epitome of this is a two way street. We've kind of talked about the stuff that isn't necessarily there yet. And we've, we've, we've got some way to go, but there are pockets of brilliance. There are green shoots. So there's, there are codes and clubs doing it well, it by being, you know, including and welcoming and championing women and as a result, getting the outcomes. So, what do you see working is whether it's a, a club or a code or a strategy to create true gender equality in sport? Look at, at my club, what I see work really well is we now have an environment where the guys will call each other on their BS. So if they if they are being a bit, how do you do, and a bit out there, it only takes one of them to go, hey, guys, there's kids over there or there's women sitting there. Like, pull your head in, you know. There's a time and a place for all things. And, you you know, being aware of your surroundings and what you're doing at any given given time. Do you think that's because there are more women around? So is is, is behaviour altering because there are a greater number of women and young women and girls and kids around? Yes, but I think also there's more women around because we're creating environments for them to feel comfortable to be in. And that's that two-way street. Yeah. It's, well, it's a lovely virtuous circle, isn't it? It is. It's, it's chicken or the egg stuff. You know, you want to have more women involved in your clubs where well, you've got to make it welcoming, you know, and, and don't underestimate, and this is probably my message to, to men who might be listening, even at grassroots levels, have a think about your wife, your partner, your, your daughter, your mum. What are some of the things that they enjoy? What sort of environments do they enjoy being in? So something as simple, and I say this to any man in cricket clubs that I go into, and I'm sure they think that I'm a nut job, but I'll tell you what, when I go back to their clubs, I see that it's changed. Go to Kmart and spend the best 10 bucks you'll spend are on two bunches of fake flowers 
They're already stuck in a jar. Put them in the toilet. The next best $2.50 you're going to spend is some hand wash. Put it in your toilet. The number of people. And the next, and the next best 10 bucks is a packet of tampons and a packet of pads in a basket under the sink. 100%. 100%. And some guys sort of look at me and go, huh, what? But I've, I now have many in our club going, oh, why don't we have flowers in our toilet? I go, if you want flowers in your toilet, I'll go buy them for you. Like that's a bit of tongue in cheek again. But I've had women, I had women very early on say to me, oh, we can tell that there's a woman in charge now. And I'm like, again, ooh, I struggled a bit with that comment. It was just about, and it's one of my, I believe one of my strengths is looking outside the square of what makes people happy and what environment they want to want to be in. Do you know, I've just done a survey in my career platform and it was actually about workplaces. And, and the question was, what would make you leave your current job or your current workplace? So the choices were money, flexible work, leadership development, leadership opportunities, feeling valued. Guess, guess what the top ranking one was? I would leave if I don't feel valued. Outperformed every other answer by a factor of four. It's the same in these environments, right? If I feel welcome and valued and my needs are catered for, guess what? I'm going to keep coming back. Now I'm going to keep being involved. And I know I've probably mentioned the whole alcohol situation in sport a bit too much, but other things that we looked at was put nice wine in the fridge. Don't, don't give me two buck chuck. Like no one wants to drink that stuff. Mm-hmm. Women are actually, will actually be prepared to pay more than, you know, $5 a glass for good wine. And you know what? If they're there, their kids are there. If they're there and their kids are there, the partner stays. He's hanging out with his mates. He's happy as Larry. And all of a sudden you've created a, a culture where people want to go and be there. I remember growing up as a kid at that club and – you know, Thursday night, you could never go with dad to the footy club because they had topless waitresses buying the topless barmaids. Like that's back in the 70s and 80s, you know, obviously evolution, everything's happened since then, but never in a million years. Like the boys have occasionally, and they wouldn't do it, but they'll they'll try and challenge me. Oh, on Mad Monday, we're going to have strippers. Okay, no worries. And they look at me and they go, what? And I say, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to come and sit front row. I'm going to come and sit front row with you and watch your stripper. And they're like, the young kids, the younger boys sort of look at each other and then the 30-year-olds go, you know, she's not tricking. She'll absolutely do it. Because let's see how comfortable you are doing it when there's other women around. If you want to go and do that sort of stuff in some seedy club down King Street, knock yourself out, but you're not doing it in my club. Because whilst those front doors are open, anyone can walk in. Any kid can walk in. Any mum can come in. And it's just not what we're about. I think you've got to create your environment. Yeah, I agree. And, and and I have no doubt that a greater spread of diversity in gender and age and what have you helps a whole lot more people that we might not expect feel welcome. Again, a story from Williamstown after the, the squad, the women's squad had been formed. I think we were probably halfway through the first season and the then head coach of the men's program and I were having a conversation. He just said, this is so good for some of those. He said, the conversations have altered. The boys are softer. You know, their language is different. And he said, it's so good for the ones who don't want to play into the, you know, the macho stereotype, you know, the, the meathead footy play. He said, so many of them are beautiful, young, soft men who want to be nice. And having this around helps those those young men be really genuine about who they are. They don't have to put on the, the rubbish of, oh, God, I've got to go to the strippers or, you know, I've got to drink 14 kegs of beer on a Saturday night and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I, th- I think the, the other thing I just wanted to touch on around your question of what codes are doing it well. 
for for women. You know, I look at I look at cricket. Look at the Big Bash. Even at our club, we get tickets that we give to the kids as awards and all that sort of stuff. The mums are like, yeah, I actually want to win because you know what? I get in and I get out. I'm there two hours and it's actually fun. There's music blaring. The kids are having fun. There's balls going everywhere. If I said to any of them, oh, I've got a ticket to a Boxing Day, like the most precious, that is like Christmas Day for cricket people, right? I've got a ticket for you to the Boxing Day Test Australia v England. Like I'd be high five in the world if someone gave me that. I can say that to most normal people and they're like, really? Like I'm going on holiday. See you later. But here's a, here's a ticket to the Melbourne Stars Renegade, you know, big bash. And they're like, give it to me. Because someone there, someone at Cricket Australia was smart enough to sit back and go, who spends the money? Who buys the ticket? Who's the one ferrying all the kids around? It's got to be fun. It's got to be quick. It's got to be painless. And I think to see the increase in female attendance at Big Bash is a big tick because someone sat back like I did and said, let's put flowers in the toilet on a much broader scale. What's going to make people feel welcome and feel comfortable, you know, to be there? And we know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, women in opposite sex relationships typically influence or make seventy between 75 and 85% of the consumer buying decisions in the family. And yeah, that is what sports clubs do we join? What merch do we buy? What uniforms do we sign up for? Blah, 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 blah. And and create and create merch that are relevant for women. And we, we had this at our club when we first started our girls with all best intentions. I was on, I was on the committee at that point, wasn't president. And one of the guys was like, well, We'll just get the girls pink T-shirts. Make it pink and roll it in glitter and then, yeah, yeah there's, there's our gender equality strategy. No. You know, it'll be the same T-shirt as the boy. Like we'll still have our logo and our griffin and all that sort of stuff on there, but we'll make it pink. And I'm like, and they're like, but why? And, and, and credit where credit's due, it came from a really good place and trying to make the girls feel special. But my thing was, they don't want to stand out like the old proverbial. They just want to be part of the club. What I will say is don't get them a standard cut T-shirt because especially as they become, you know, 12, 13, 14 and their boobs are growing and their hips are changing, I can tell you the T-shirts you wear, they don't look any good on, you know, anything other than a little set of boobs, you know, like it doesn't fit. They need to be cut properly because then if the girls feel comfortable, they'll wear it. And they'll probably wear it out down the, the local shops. And that's, you know, when you put your business hat on, that's branding awareness. That's, that's awareness that we have a girls program. Something as simple as get a T-shirt that fits them. I don't know how many T-shirts I've got, you know, merch over the years. And I just go, really? I have hips. Like, seriously. And then the other challenge I, I set the guys that night was I said, our girls, we're going to give them the opportunity to wear black leggings. What? They can't wear black leggings, you know, all the traditionalists. Cricket, you wear white. And yes, we do. And again, it was one of those moments where I sat there and I thought, I'm the only female around this table. Do I absolutely embarrass the pants off them or do I go gentle? I thought, no, I'm going to have some fun. I said, wearing white's all fine. But one of the biggest fears most women will have in between, you know, the ages of 12 and whatever, 55, is, oh, my God, I get up from a seat and there's a big red patch on my pants. Biggest fear out there, one of. I said, so as a 12-year-old who's just new into that realm, who doesn't really know what's going on with their body, and they're wearing white pants, and they end up with that happening on their pants, you'll never, ever see them again, let alone get them to play cricket. That would just be horrendous. Put black leggings on them, 
Mm-hmm. If they have a little leakage issue, no one would even know. But you know what? And I could see like the older men like starting to drop down in their seats thinking, oh, you don't talk about periods, like don't talk about this sort of stuff. Some of the younger guys were a bit like, oh, really? But they got it. All our girls wear black leggings because it's about a comfort. When they're 18 or 16 and they're managing their bodies a bit better and they understand what's going on, sure, put them back in white pants. I have no issue with that. But we're talking about how do we get them in, but most importantly, how do you keep them? And it's a bit like in you know past lives when I've worked with you, Michelle, around the whole diversity thing and seeing businesses go, oh, I've got a diversity strategy, tick in a box. You actually haven't. You're not doing anything with it. It's the same as trying to implement girls' sports. Don't do it just because there's a government grant out there that says, or your council says you're going to get allocation to your ground if you've got X number of girls' teams. That's your wrong motivator. You've got to do it for the right reasons and you've got to keep them there, you know, and you'll get to brag like I do about having my first under 12 girls premiership for the rest of my life. And one of the girls, well, they're all fabulous, but there's one who I've called it early. I'm like, she's going to play for Australia, this kid, and God knows I am going to be on her coattails. She came in my time and I am going to be on those coattails. So you and I could probably bang on about this, yarn about this for hours. So one final then, what is your final call to action for sports administrators to start? So you've given them a few tips through this, but if we've got a sports leader listening right now going, you know what, this woman's onto something here and I want to go back to my club this weekend with a great idea about how we start to include and engage more women and girls, what would you give that, what would you say to that administrator to do right now? Go and ask your women why they're not there. Go and ask if if you've predominantly got a male-dominated club, they've all got brothers, sisters, mums, girlfriends, daughters, go and ask them why they're not here. That would be my first step because the last thing as a female is I want you to pretend to know what I want. Go and ask them because especially if you, you're a male administrator without women around you at the moment, you need to ask that question. Yes, I could go and put flowers in our toilets and have nice hand wash because if you walked into my house, you would see that in my house. I like that stuff. So I was bringing my own influence and knowing the women of our area and our club, that's, you know, they're the sorts of things that they like. They don't like two buck chuck in the fridge. Go and ask the women what it would take for them to be involved and have reasonable expectations. Don't go and expect them to sit on the committee and donate, you know, 20 hours a week worth of work. It might just be, do you want to come down? What about if we put cheese platters on on a Saturday afternoon while your partners were playing, um, playing cricket? Pretty simple investment for a club to spend, you know, 20 bucks on a cheese platter. And then sit back and talk to your players and see how, what sort of a different world that makes them to have their partners involved. Because I know for me, you know, the number of girlfriends and fiancés that were going to the local wine bar on a Saturday afternoon, I'm like, this is crazy. As much as I support I support the wine bar because they support us and I know the people that own it, I'm like, how do I get these girls to – they're not watching the cricket anyway. They're just there to talk and have a, you know, a catch-up. What do I do? So I said to them, if I put on cheese platters, once a month, like whatever. I don't expect you to be crazy like me and turn up every Saturday afternoon. What What do you need? And they they actually said to me, it's not even the cheese platter. Can you get us decent wine? Like, sweet. I'll get you decent wine. Are you prepared to pay $8 a glass? And they're like, yep, cheaper than going, you know, somewhere else. So that would be my first point. Have a male-dominated club and you're trying to get more female engagement, ask them what they want. And be prepared. Be prepared for some of them to say, I don't want to come there anyway. Like, whatever. That's okay. 
no problem. You don't have to. You don't have to. Get out and talk to the parents. So, you know, every little boy that's out there playing footy or soccer or cricket, they've got a sibling. What are they doing? Don't let those little girls be like me at school where I was told I wasn't allowed to play footy with the boys because the boys can't tackle you. So you know what I did? I went home and I said to mum and dad, can you write me a letter to take back to school to my PE teacher that says, Alison can be tackled. If she gets hurt, that's her problem. And from that moment, it became so much more fun and enjoyable. So, you know, don't think that girls don't want to be involved. Don't think that women don't want to be involved. You've got to show them how they can be. And But also ask them what are, you know, the basics of, of design thinking of, you know, what is what are the unmet needs of our target market here? So, well, what a great way to finish our discussion. Lots of wisdom there. We've heard about being, being the first female president, gender stereotypes and how you bust through them, but how you encourage other women to bust through them now. Your shift in your mindset about being a first and a role model, what men in power can do and how they can listen, but also how women can step up and, and, and step in. And of course, you know, let's let's go and ask what our target market wants. So lots and lots of wisdom. Thank you, Al. I as always love talking to you. And I think, you know, between all of us, we can probably make cricket really sexy for everyone. Oh, it is sexy. You just gotta open your <laughs> eyes and be part of it. <laughs> Good on you. Thanks, Alison. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that you can gain a lot of insights and importantly, take action wherever you may work in sport. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating. It really helps to spread the word. And of course, please do share this episode with your friends, with your colleagues and with your network of people in sport because together we can close the leadership gender gap.